You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you need batteries for your truck, batteries for your trail cameras, TV remote controls, flashlights, you name it, Interstate Batteries has what you need. They have thousands of retail locations all over the United States. So stop in, talk to a battery specialist, or for more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. That's what I call pro talk. When you really don't know that, you just make it up. My rut is that I am in a rut. To get the pilot of Red Arrow going. There's really a way to skip class. I want to say, hey, those boys right there in the That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said on this podcast. Alex Rutledge here with American Roots Outdoors TV. Hey, this is Lee and Tiffany Lukowski from the Crest TV. Hi, I'm Don Higgins. This is Jeff Lindsay. Hey, everybody, this is Mark Dury with Dury Outdoors. Hey, this is Craig Fitz of Crane Assassins TV. You're listening to Dave and JP on Pro Talk Outdoors, the craziest two I know. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Pro Talk Outdoors. We are coming live to you with uh, new sound here. I, I guess the sound is probably not going to be any different to you. Maybe it is. Maybe it's going to be a little better. Uh, but we're running on some new equipment, and we're pretty excited about that. Yeah, there's a lot of cords in here. A lot, a lot of cords. A <laughs> lot, a lot of places you can uh, put different plugs and dials that we don't necessarily know what they all mean. But uh, it's it's fun to have some new stuff and upgrade our sound a little bit. And uh, I'm I'm sure it'll probably get better as we go along and we get used to uh, how yeah, this you, new stuff sounds. If, if you go back to like episode one through five of uh, uh, Pro Talk Outdoors in the very beginning. My gosh, that's got some horrible sound to it, you know. Uh, so, so this this is uh, it's a lot cleaner than that. I can tell yeah, you that. it's it's cleaner. Uh, just a lot of options. It's going to be nice to have. Um, but I, I do want to open it up, and I, I probably sound a little bit somber in tone, and I I, I want to address it, address the elephant in the room. 
I, I am admittedly very affected by what happened this week with uh, the, the helicopter crash. And I went to school and, and grew up just as my pa- being a passionate sports fan in general. I remember my formative years of, of being a sports fan in the Laker dynasty and, and watching all of those games. And uh, I, I could never call myself necessarily a Kobe Bryant fan. Uh you know, he had his, his scandal that went on in the background, and then he had all these other things that went on with players, and then he had all these other positives and what a great father he had become and, uh, you know, what a great player he was and some of the, the humanitarian efforts that he did with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, uh, just countless things. Um, his legacy is, is huge, it's immense, but as somebody that wanted to tell sports stories and be a storyteller for a living – you know, I had things happen along the way, and that's no longer the career path that, that was cut out for me. Luckily, I've, I've found things like this, and I still get to do some of that. But uh, beyond even all of that, I think I'm just affected as a human being because it wasn't illness. It wasn't, um, you know, old age. It, it wasn't anything that you could deem even close to natural. It, it was tragedy. It was tragedy. And, and the definition of tragedy is something that was preventable. And uh, I think the it's just insult to injury that his child was on that helicopter along with two others and uh, their parents and, and the countless families that have been affected by it. And, you know, I never imagined that a public tragedy such as this would affect me in the way that it has. I, I remember how I felt as a young kid about 9-11, not really f- fully understanding it, but, you know, I was 10 years old. I had a pretty good idea what was going on and how I felt then. Uh, but I, I just, I think as an adult and understanding what it means now, it is, it has truly affected me the last couple of days. And, and it's interesting that, um, that you feel that way. Um, you know, just, just last episode we had Kendall Jones on and we talked about social media and the impact that it can, can have on any given situation with relation to the hunting community and this this goes this goes a step way beyond that and um i'm sure you've seen it on social media i know i've seen it there has been um i will say three almost like three camps of this whole tragedy and and some folks have have kind of taken the um it, it it affected them the way it has you you know, it, it's it's deeply hurtful, and, um, and and being so, there's a lot of posts you see on social media about Kobe Bryant and uh, his daughter and all those other folks that that uh, perished in the crash and and how they feel, and and it's just a way of coping. It's a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you've got that other camp that's just the polar opposite that almost. Well, they're being dicks about it. To be honest with you, I mean, they're it's disgusting. They're they're coming across just the opposite. Like, well, he wasn't nobody. He, you know what? What's the big deal about him? It, you didn't say anything about the military folks that passed away. Look, it's it's totally apples and oranges. Every, of course, we feel for mm-hmm. all the service men and women that have have uh, tragically given up their lives and made that sacrifice Absolutely. for our country. You can't compare the two. You just can't do it. But no. that doesn't mean that you don't have. Um, a lot of memories sitting in your living room watching mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant on the basketball floor. And there's a lot of kids. Look, I, you know, my stepdaughter, Emma, she is one heck of a basketball player. She wore number 24. 
You know, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. A, a part of that was because that was Kobe Bryant's number. She, that that's the number that that she wore in her basketball jersey all the way up until here recently, actually this year. But you know, and then and then there's a third camp. Obviously, if it affects everyone, and um, you know, they're compassionate about it. But uh, and I'm probably in the third one. You know, because mm-hmm. and, and here's the way I look at it. I I cannot claim to be a Kobe Bryant fan. You know me, mm-hmm. and you know that I despise the nba i can't sure. i can't really watch it i just sure. I, so if i was to tell you that i actually sit down and watched a full uh game that kobe bryant participated in in my life i'd be lying i haven't no but that doesn't take away from the tragic event that actually happened um but you know it's just um uh, it, it is hurtful and it's sad and um you know, I guess where I was going with that is it kind of ties back into what we talked about on the last episode it, it with does. social media. It does. And and you're probably listening to this thinking, man, how does this... Yeah, this is not outdoors. How does this <laughs> tie in to the, to the outdoors at all? And, I, and I'll say that to say this, because we, we've spent a good amount of time, uh, especially the last year and a half, two years, talking about how much you can use these type of activities to bring you and your friends, you and your family, you and strangers together Um and I think that kind of thing is important, and we've stressed what that truly means. And, and the memories, those bonds can can truly ingrain and instill in your mind, your heart, and your soul for, for the rest of your life. And uh, take the opportunities to do that because it, it's nothing is – and this sounds cliche, I don't care – nothing is granted. You know, you don't, you don't know how many birthdays you're going to have. And I've got one coming up next Monday. I'll be 29. It'll be the last year of my 20s, and – I've already experienced more loss in my 20s than most folks ever have to go through in, in that decade. And that's not a boo-hoo story. It's a fact. You want to challenge me on it, call me. Uh, so I, I guess that may have made this incident hit me harder because I now know what his three daughters have to do and go on without a father. And that is not um, that is not something that I take lightly. And uh, I just appreciate the whole thing. So I, I want to use... This few minutes, and I appreciate anybody that's continued to listen to this through this uh, to just say, man, spend these times in the outdoors with people as often as you can. And hey, if it's your alone time, that's great too, and enjoy that. But don't forget to share these moments and some of these really wholesome, great activities because I've got so many great memories in the outdoors, and I'm going to have so many more great ones. And you just don't know when something bad can happen to you. Or your buddy that you wish you had taken fishing last week, or anything of that nature. So uh, that's that's the end of my soapbox, uh, and that's how I tie it back into the outdoors. And uh, with that, I guess well, we should piggyback. Well, yeah, let's. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention the passing of Forrest Wood. As Forrest well. Wood, there you go. There's uh, another one. I mean, it, it's it's not one of those things that was sudden and tragic. Forrest, you know, I, I don't. I think he was 84. Sure. Does that sound right? I, he was not, in his 80s. Yeah. Yeah, he was in his 80s, and uh, you know, I'm sure that anyone listening to this podcast knows who Forrest Wood is or was. But if not, we'll go ahead and share that with you. You know, he he was actually the founder of. Ranger boats, and mm-hmm. and and I'll even go a step further than that. And I think that this is probably um, as accurate a statement as you can make. He is probably the father of the bass boat, the quote unquote I think bass that's boat. Accurate. I mean, absolutely. That, um, you know, he started in uh, in the early seventies, maybe late sixties. You know, just building these out of his uh, his barn in his garage, and and um, you know, he had a tragic fire 
and you know Ranger boats almost went away with that, but he mm-hmm. he was able to salvage go in and salvage those orders and then go back to work and make those boats and sell them. Pure and American ingenuity, you know. Absolutely. When you think about guys like a Henry Ford or somebody of that nature, that's what he really was to the uh, fit the boat industry. I mean, he, he yeah. was that level of a pioneer. So. Uh, that is, it, it's a it's a shame, and what a wonderful life and gift that he gave to everybody. Yeah, and and I, you know, I, neither one of us knew Forrest Wood personally, or, or I've never no. even spoke to the man nope, or anything. Never. But you know, we know a lot of folks in the bass fishing uh, industry, mm-hmm. and we know that he touches deep. I mean, we were just uh, just texting with uh, Hank Parker the other day, and we're scheduling him for an upcoming podcast, and um, we're actually recording this today on the day of Forrest Wood's funeral and Hank is uh you know actually there at the funeral so um he couldn't actually record the podcast completely understand that but uh yeah folks I mean that's two ends of the spectrum but that's two very important highly influential people in their fields that uh that have passed here recently and like, it's worth mentioning. I, I think. Yeah. I think it's just. Uh, it, it's all encompassing. We're all human beings. That's what we all have in common. You know, we all may have different interests, beliefs, and and uh, everything else. But at the end of the day, we're all still people. Yep. And it's important to remember that. So, hey, we're going to take a quick pause here, and we'll be back to bring you a second segment on something a little bit more cheery. You're listening to Pro Talk Outdoors. Hey everybody, Dave and JP here from Pro Talk Outdoors. Uh, we want to take a quick moment to mention to you guys that now being in the dead of winter, deer season's over, if your state allows it, it would be a great time to go ahead and get some Real World Wildlife Maximizer out there and start getting some mineral out for these deer because, hey, it's a long winter. I know I get hungry this time of year. So do they. Yeah, and I tell you what, folks, it's not just for growing those those bigger bucks. Oh, no, the does and, need it. Yeah, those does, soon they're going to be dropping those fawns on the ground. They're going to need to be building up a lot of body mass for that lactation, mm-hmm. help out those fawns, get all those deer started off on the right foot, and prepare them for a long, hard winter and get them right through to springtime. And if you need to know where to get that, www.realworldwildlifeproducts.com. Go to your dealer page. Buy that from a local dealer. Nothing against Don, West, Terry, and all the boys at, at Real World. I'd love for them to, to get an order direct, but... Take care of these dealers. These guys are working hard to answer your questions and provide availability of resources and, you know, mineral itself right there close to you. Take care of those guys and reach out to the person closest to you. Yeah, besides that, Wes, if he's out filling orders and he's loading trucks, he's not going to have as much time to go out shed hunting. So take care (laughs) of him. Hey, and if you need a quick answer and can't get your dealer, feel free to reach out to Dave or I. We'll be glad to help. All right, guys, so let's pep it up a little bit. Obviously, it's late January, early February by the time you're listening to this episode. You're probably starting to think about shed hunting, but truly, it's probably a bit early. I know in our area, there's been some sheds that have dropped, we believe, potentially due to influence from EHD and and other illness that, that may have caused this, or maybe a testosterone boost that, you know, then quickly went away because of disease and, and several different environmental factors that you could... Uh, hypothesize about but man i just feel like it's too early i think you're going to do more harm than good well yeah yeah i mean essentially yes that's probably the case now i'll say i'll say this as well uh if you're one of those folks that have just a whole lot of acreage to get out there and look for sheds you know go ahead and get out there and stomp around a little bit you know but to your point though as far as being too early Let's just say you have a farm that 
you have a certain target buck that you're wanting to find sheds of, or really any mature buck. If you go in there stomping around early, if he's still holding that headgear, mm-hmm. chances are, I mean, zero human intrusion is what those big deer want, and they're right. gonna they're gonna bump over to your neighbors and. Um, probably not going to come back and you're probably not going to find those sheds. And that's probably going to be the first piece of the puzzle that you're going to miss out on for 2020 success. Right. And some people are going to say, well, you're going to, you're going to hunt him anyway. What's the difference in, uh, bumping him out now as opposed to bumping him out in March? And it's really just that because the sheds are the clue. The sheds, at least to me, seem to be dropped in, uh, most often bedding areas or core areas nonetheless. It's never going to be outside a core area, it feels like. Uh, and admittedly, I'm not very good at this. I, I have to get better at shed hunting. I think a lot of it has to do with your property, whether it's a bedroom or whether it's a hallway, a kitchen, or what have you. So I think that has some influence as well. But for me, uh, I feel like I have more success when I wait till around the 1st of March. And I, I think somebody we've had on the show before tends to wait until the first weekend of the NCAA tournament and go and do it. Yeah. I can't remember who it was that mentioned that. I want to I want to say that was Nading, wasn't it? Uh, it Brendan m- Nading? I, I, it um, may have been. I think it was. You know, I mean, and, and that guy, I mean. He's on gone. it. He is a good shed hunter. He He's gets, a good everything hunter. I, I don't even know how many sheds. Several hundred sheds he finds every year. Which I mean, is it's impeccable. In, it, it's insane. I mean. Um, you know, last year I'm hunting around and I'm, I'm like tickled to death. I'm like, oh man, I found 15 sheds already. Well, okay. And he's finding 10 or 15 a day. Let's go ahead and call <laughs> this how it is though. You're, you're very humble about it and I appreciate that, but you have become over the last few years, a very good shed hunter, very good at it. And some of it is luck, but a lot of that is, is you're just getting good at it. Well, you know, I, I, uh, I don't know if I'd say I'm good at it, but I, I have, it's kind of funny, you know, it's like when you go you go mushroom hunting with somebody that's good at it. Um, they'll teach you how to, you, you don't look for the entire mushroom. You just look for a little, little part of it. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden that, that it, it kind of, it appears for you and, and it gets a little easier. And, and that's, that's kind of the way with sheds, you know? I mean, I've found that if I'm going through the woods looking for an antler, I'm probably not going to find very many of those, you know, but if I'm just looking for anything that looks like a little piece of, of bone sticking up or just a little tine sticking up somewhere, then all of a sudden, everything that kind of looks remotely close to that, I'm 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 zoning in on it. And then, uh, gosh, crazy how many times that actually turns out to be a shed. Well, I'm still hoping to pick up some of this via osmosis. I know you and I went together actually several times last year, more than we've ever gone together before. And uh, I don't feel like I picked up any of it at all. I mean, we found a couple. We found a few. Yeah, it, it, it'll come to you. But I mean, it's it's just a matter. And, and look, there is absolutely no substitution for walking several miles. Yeah, and, and you definitely you, get a lot of those in. You absolutely got to walk some miles. I mean, and I, I think uh, last year I was kind of keeping track of, of what my statistics were. Mm-hmm. And I was finding a shed about every two miles I walked in the woods. Yeah, Which is pretty good. It feels yeah, like to yeah, me. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Because I, mean, I, I would, I would wager that I walked somewhere between ten and fifteen miles shed hunting last year, which is nowhere near the probably thirty that you walked. Yeah, uh, I, and and I've got goals this year. I'm I'm actually wanting to walk in excess of fifty miles shed hunting this year. You're gonna have to walk on somebody else's ground. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean I I picked up a new piece of property uh, sure. for one. Uh, and but you're right. I'm, I've got to find some some new spots to look. If, uh, if not, I'm gonna have to look on welcome public. Welcome to come help me. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm either gonna have to go on some other guys' properties, uh, you know, 
with their permission, of course. Right, or, right. <laughs> or, uh, you know, knock on some doors and gain some access myself. Mm. And that's that's the plan. Well, and again, this is a good time of year to uh, kind of do double duty. I know last year we did it. We would shed hunt, and then we would stumble upon a stand that we knew we wanted to move, and then we would move it. So it's good if you can wrap all that into one day. I think it's a great time to do that. If not, this is still the best time of year to take advantage of those Postseason scouts, you can tell what the movement was. All of the recent intel is fresh in your mind. Get your final card pulls done and get those stands relocated where you believe now, after another season of data, that puts you in a better position for success. And another thing that that I want to opine right here is... I don't even know what opine means. It's like a fancy way to say uh, my opinion. Is get your damn trail cameras out of the woods because if you're like me, you're a tightwad and you don't buy the best that there is that can sustain weather year round. <laughs> yeah. You buy the kind that can only sustain a few months in the woods and then you need to get them out, get them taken care of. Get the get, batteries out of get them. Get the batteries out of them, get another season out of them. So uh, they're not doing you any good out there right now, in my opinion. No, I mean, the only thing that a guy could say is maybe, hey, I want to see if, you know, I want to I want to have pictures of the deer when they shed, you know, so I right. know that they're actually have shed. But that's my point. When you get out there to shed hunt, pull them back out. They've served yeah. their purpose. A- absolutely. That's that's the thing. And, you know, to your point, this is the best time to get out there and stomp around and, and do some postseason scouting. Number one, it's fresh in your mind the successes and failures that you had during this previous season. Uh, you know, I mean, you can still remember if you're if you're somebody that hasn't done a good job of keeping a journal, a log of where you had certain deer sightings, those kind of things. Get out there now, stomp around a little bit, and take the time to organize yourself. Take some notes. You know, I, I've said this year and year, year in and year out, and I, I'm kind of poor at it myself. I don't do really good job keeping notes, but some of the best big buck killers that that are successful year in and year out they keep impeccable notes mm-hmm. i mean they keep mm-hmm. such a good uh a good journal and they're getting out and they're they're really putting in some time this time of year getting out and finding out where those runs were you know i know we said this on a podcast last year about this time but you know when you go out and you hunt a certain stand multiple times and the sightings go down those deer didn't just up and leave completely. No, no they're they just got wise going deer. around you, and and it's important to get out there right now and find out where did they go. Mm-hmm. You know where did they go when they figured out what I was doing, and it's a chess match. You know, go out and then whenever that that happens during the fall of 2020, and all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm not seeing that buck anymore. Where did he go? You can go back to where you you found in mm-hmm. February of 2020 mm-hmm. where that deer went to by either you found a shed, you found some beds, you found some uh, some activity there, whether it was rubs or scrapes, whatever. Then you can make a, a, a part B plan, you know, plan mm-hmm. B and go out there after him, and and maybe that's the uh, that's the win and move. It, it, it absolutely could be. And I, another thing that I'm a little nervous about for this area in particular is how many dead deer am I going to find shed hunting? Because this is when you go into those areas that you refuse to go in any other time of the year. Uh, and I, I happened to stumble on a couple there late in the season just by actually taking new routes to a stand. And, you know, it wasn't really even in a bedding area. It was just near a creek that was a good access area. I took a different route, and, you know, there it was. And I, I have to think a lot of guys in the southern Indiana area, particularly Clark and Scott and a little bit of Washington yeah. County, are going to find more 
deadheads than ever before, probably. Yeah, most likely. And, you know, I I look at, uh, there's a couple of farmers that I know of that found some, some deadheads in the fields when they were harvesting. Mm-hmm. And they were clearly EHD deer. Um, and then also, you know, Johnny Sandlin, our buddy, he, he found several just out in the in the pasture, in the open fields. It, yeah. it wasn't all in the creek area where you, you know, typically would expect to find those EHD deer. Uh, you know, it, you just don't know where you're going to find them at, but I can guarantee you that there's a good chance that you're going to find some deadheads. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's probably worth mentioning as the season is wrapped up and you filled your tags or not filled your tags to uh, take a good look in your freezer, take a good look at your family, and take a good look at your farm and what you saw this year, what you found, and make a decision going into the following season and make it right now on how you can be the best conservationist and outdoorsman that you can possibly be. And what I'm trying to say, just to get direct to it, is understand your area. Not everybody's area is as dense in deer population as others. Not everybody's area was as affected with disease as somebody else's. Sometimes those things overlap, and a low population area gets hit with the disease. Guess what? You cannot rely on anybody else to make your decisions for you. You can't be presented in life in any other facet at the workplace, uh, tempted on a weekend, uh, if your wife's out of town and another woman knocks on your door, you cannot be tempted with bad decisions. <laughs> you cannot be tempted with bad decisions, make the wrong choice, and blame somebody else, and not expect to feel those repercussions. So, if you want a good deer herd, make good conscious decisions on your own in your area. And control your own freaking yard. Man, that was... Hot off the press. You could not have hit the the nail on the head any more square than You can't mow your neighbor's grass. Oh my gosh, man. Yeah, because, you know, here's the thing. Um, We're dealing with it here in Indiana. Uh, And I'm sure every state deals with it to to some extent. Um, Over and over and over again, guys are saying, well... Our deer population is in decline. Okay, yes, it somewhat is. But it's it's not in decline to the point where you have to worry about the deer population. Now, can you go out there like you could 20 years ago and see 40, 50 deer, you know, in a hunt? 30 deer, 20 deer? Probably not. Probably not. But... Depends on where you are. But But is seeing that amount of deer really a good thing? You know, I mean, and guys that are just... It's a just very valid question. Guys that have a a short uh, attention span or they, they're they there just because they want to just see a lot of traffic. You know, I'm sure they're wanting to see those high numbers. Me personally, I would rather see four or five deer every trip with a chance that one of those is a, a really nice mature buck. Sure. You know, and, and I really... It bothers me whenever people are jumping onto our... Indiana Department of Natural Resources in the direction that it's going, and they're they're trying to place blame there, saying mm-hmm. that it's their fault that our population is in decline. It is not the Department of Natural Resources' fault that our population is in decline. If anyone's fault, it's look at yourself in the mirror. How many times did you pull the trigger? How many times did you decide that since I bought that deer bundle, which is three tags, mm-hmm. one antler, two antlerless, or you could do three antlerless, I think, with the deer bundle, but how many times did you pull the trigger? Did you decide that since you had three tags, you had to fill those three tags? Now, 
an issue that we have in, in our part of Indiana, and I'm sure it's in many, many locations across the state, we have smaller parcels. Sure. There's, there's not a lot of vast property in Indiana. It's, it's very common for a guy to hunt 20, 40, 50 acre parcels. Mm-hmm. But what happens when you're doing that? You've got neighbors, let's say, say the, just, let's just say it, it doesn't have any, it just got road access on one side. You've probably got three neighbors mm-hmm. that are hunting equal size parcels that are doing the same thing that you're doing. And, and they're not done in a vacuum. You're hunting the same deer. Exactly. You're hunting the same deer. So essentially, in, in, a, in a, a quarter mile square, you could have eight guys hunting that's got three tags, and they're all three with that mentality, well, i got to fill my tags. Because the state give me those three tags, i got to fill them. Mm-hmm. Well, look at you yourself know, in the mirror. That's why your population yes. is down. That's yes. why it's down. But, okay, that's not necessarily a totally bad thing, though, because we do have a great Department of Natural Resources that instituted the one-buck rule. And I can tell you, you can look, you can look to our west at Illinois. They're going to have problems with their Department of Natural Resources, and they're going to wish that it was more like Indiana's in some respects. You can go north to Michigan, and those folks are going to have some major problems with their Department of Natural Resources, and they're going to wish they had what Indiana has. Same thing with Ohio and Kentucky to some respect. But, guys, the one-buck rule, it, it works. Our buck-to-doe ratio, at least in our area, is pretty darn good. And I have friends that, that hunt in southern states, and they are blown away when I tell them, well, you know, rifle season or gun season comes in, you know, usually second or third weekend of November. They said, what? What do you mean? It don't, it, you mean? You mean September? And I said, no. You know, some of them don't stay up on multi-state laws, and they're blown away by that. And then they're all the time saying, man, I don't know how you guys stand it only being able to shoot X amount of deer. And he said, you only get one buck? He said, that's ridiculous. I said, no, it's not. No, it's not. And then in the next breath, he'll talk about, man, you sure got some quality deer up there in Indiana. <laughs> well, <laughs> how do you think that comes to be? So we say all that to say this. Listen, you can't please everybody or you end up pleasing nobody. And ultimately, the job isn't to please us as hunters. It's to effectively manage and uh treat the entire state as a whole and do what's best for the vast majority. And and that's the way, uh, actually, the United States has been run for a lot of years as decisions are made for the vast majority, not, uh, you know, taken for small, tiny bits. And, you know, you add up into everybody's pissed off and nobody got anything that was good for them. So uh, just manage your own yard is all I'm trying to say. Manage your own yard. Absolutely. If you feel like that you don't have enough deer on your property, might want to not utilize that mm-hmm. antlerless mm-hmm. tag. And for me personally, I decided to not buy the bundle this year because I knew I had no intentions of shooting that many deer. So I bought one, I, the buck tag. That was it. Yeah, know? I mean, and, and that's, you know, the same could be said. I, I have my lifetime license, so it's sure. not really an issue with me. But, you know, with Savannah, she didn't buy the bundle this year. No. You know, she didn't buy the bundle because she she knew going in that, she wasn't going to be shooting a doe in Indiana. Just mm-hmm. wasn't going to do it because the properties that we hunt, um, they were getting pretty, hit pretty hard. And I'll and I'll tell you, our 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 neighbors did a a, a very very um, bang up job. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, I I was looking for the right words there because I'm disgusted with it. Sure, I, I'm absolutely disgusted with mm-hmm. with how many times they pulled the trigger. Um, you know, I mean, unless your family is truly going to go hungry otherwise, I, I just, I can't condone it. And if it is, I'm not talking to you. 
You know, you fill out your, your tags to the ethical and legal amount, feed your family and take care of your business first. But if, if your family's not going to miss a meal and not going to be hungry, not going to be destitute or broke because of it, be a good steward of the land. Yeah, I, mean, I think the folks we're talking to here, the ones that uh, are are going out and, and they're, they're harvesting the deer that, that's going to fill their freezer, nothing wrong with that. But then after that point, they're going on social media and saying, hey, does anybody want a deer? I'll go out and get you one. You know, which I've got a big problem with. Yeah, I mean, or I'm I'm going out to hunt just so I can donate these. Well, if you really feel that strongly about donating help, go to the food pantry or something. You know, donate to the food pantry with canned goods or something like that. I mean, if um, because those are the same guys that are coming back next year and saying, "Yeah, the state screwed up our. We're gonna have to do something. State's gonna have to do something. <laughs> They're screwing up our deer population. They, the state can't clean your mess. You know." But we say all that just to say this. Be a good steward of the land. Make great decisions. Be a good conservationist. That's what we're trying to do. Dave and I are far from perfect. We've both done some dumb stuff before, and and we'll continue to do dumb things. I do stuff every year. Absolutely. But, I mean, you just got (laughs) to consciously try to be better. Uh, Keep working on the craft and, uh, you know, know the the end game here. So, man, I mean, that's that's a, a big topic right now. It really it, it is. is. And, I, and folks, I'm, I'm sure you can you can hear this and, and you can tell that we're passionate about this because this is something that we really are facing right now. And it's um, it, when your own area gets hit hard with uh, with EHD and then you have a group of hunters around you that are not like-minded, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's, and listen, that's completely their prerogative, but those are also the same folks that are blaming the state for the regulations saying that the state's screwing up the deer population, and that's just not the case. It's not the case at all. I, we each have to look in the mirror and be accountable for the decisions that we make. Mm-hmm. And, and you can take that to every facet of your life. And, and I can tell you, you know, um, Something that you and I have to look in the mirror and take uh, account of, you know, we've made the decision that that when when we're hunting, we wanna we wanna hunt a certain type of animal. I mean, yeah, we'll harvest a doe every year to, to try to fill our freezer yep. if if the uh, if the herd will sustain that. But we also we want to hunt mature deer. You know, we we want to hunt mature bucks. And uh, if you're hunting in an area where you have neighbors kind of like what we're talking about. You know, maybe we're in the wrong spot. Maybe we need to uh, kind of get off of our cans a little bit and, and take some initiative and go find the right types of properties. That's that's a fair criticism and, and something that I plan to do uh, this month, February. It needs to be a big month for me going and knocking on doors and uh, letting letting some folks know that I'd, I'd love to treat them right and take care of <laughs> keeping an eye on their land and, and hopefully get an opportunity to, to use it. Man, hey, I got an idea for you on this. Okay. It just came to me. Sure. Um, here's what I think you need to do. Uh, because, I, I mean, we know in the past that you've knocked on some doors and you've been met with resistance. I have. With firearms. and you've. You I, know, have. I have. I have. I, I think, left post-haste. I think here's what you need to do. And this is, this is going to sound political, but I don't mean it to be political. You need to get you a... Trump 2020 or a Make America Great Again hat, and you need to wear that going up to every door you knock on. Now, here's going to be the end result. You're going to knock on the door, and if there's a Trump-supporting Republican that lives there, they're going to say, 
man, I like this kid. I like this young man right here. That is an out-of-the-box idea for now, sure. And, and, and they're not going to pull the gun on you because <laughs> they're going to think you might be packing too. <laughs> All right. Now, however, if it's uh, a liberal and a Democrat that hates guns, you're going to know he's not going to shoot you, okay? <laughs> and he probably wasn't going to let you hunt anyway. There you heard it, folks, right here. Wear a <laughs> Make America Great Again hat or a Trump 2020 oh, where you go is, knock on doors for permission. It's an out-of-the-box I, idea. I just now thought of that. It's an out-of-the-box idea. You you are just an absolute <laughs> genius for some of these things that you can come up with uh, on the fly there. But, you know, we've been on the soapbox a little bit today. Uh, before we close out, we want to say, hey, listen, Here's your opportunity to get on the soapbox with us. We're very accessible. I would love to see more messages on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Uh, share pictures with us. Reach out to us any any which way you want to. Reach out via Sportsman's Nation. Uh, however you see fit, engage with us. We want to, to make a big push in 2020 to get as much engagement from you, the listeners, as we possibly can. And uh, if you've got a problem with anything we've said today, yeah. bring it up. Absolutely. If, if you want to have a discussion, bring it up. Uh, we've been known to engage in some of those, uh, some more recently than others, in fact. And uh, we're not a, we're not afraid to uh, to commiserate if you've got a story you want to share, any of that kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, and, and if you have any ideas for guests, somebody you'd like for us to uh, let it be known. reach out to, just let us know, and we'll do our best to get them to, to come here. And, and keep your ears peeled. Again, Hank Parker is going to be coming up in, a, in an upcoming episode. We're going to be talking a good bit of fishing with him. Uh, we'll get back around to our Bassmaster picks for the year. Uh, as, as normal, I, I whoop Dave pretty bad in that. So uh, we'll get back around to that in just an episode or two. and uh, it'll, yeah. be, it'll be a fun spring. It, it will be, it, you know. Uh, you didn't even contest that I whoop you in the well, picks. Well, you know, here's the thing. Some <laughs> of us some of us perform on the water and some of us oh. perform <laughs> off the water. Hey, who <laughs> caught the biggest smallmouth in last year's trip? Yeah, I get Who you won that. the contest? Yeah, you I finally did. did. You, you won it before that, though. So, hey, until next time, guys, hook them or hunt them. Pro Talk Outdoors. Later, guys. Thank you.